This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us for another discussion of the power of the Parsha. We have a very exciting program for you this evening, this afternoon. And uh, stick with me. I, I have an idea I'd like to share. I don't know if I've ever heard this before, so it might be a novel idea. And I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Feel free to send me your feedback at lburnham, B-U-R-N-H-A-M, at partnersdetroit.org. Okay, or if you stay on after the Zoom, I will open up and you guys can talk. All righty, um, let's first start with the thank yous, because that's the most important thing. Thank you to every one of you who's here today. I understand the email didn't go out or whatever it is, but I appreciate all of you for being here. I even appreciate it more if you put on your screens, because then we see that we're talking to people and not black boxes with names in the middle. But I appreciate you either way. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you to the amazing staff over at Yeshua Beth Yodem Partners Detroit for making this happen. And thank you to the amazing folk over at TorahAnytime.com. It's an app. It's a website. And they've got hundreds of thousands of hours of incredible Torah content over the course of Tisha B'Av. There was about 350,000 hours in one day. In one day over Tisha B'Av. 350,000 hours of Torah content that was consumed, which just shows you the incredible service that they are doing to the Jewish community. And I can tell you that on Tisha B'Av itself, there were times that there were three Torah Anytime classes going on simultaneously in my house. So I was listening to a class, and my daughter was listening on the couch with a, to another class, and my other daughter in the, in the, in the, in the uh, den listening to a third class. So we had at one point, I remember there was literally... Three Torah Anytime classes going on all at once. They are amazing people. Thank you to the amazing folk at TorahAnytime.com. I also want to point out this this uh, class is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast under the name Burnham on the Parsha. You can find it as Burnham on, on the Parsha. Okay, let's get started now. We are going to do Parsha's Ve'eschanan, which is this week's Torah portion. And this week's Torah portion is one of those, there's certain like parshas that are just so chock full of information and, and, and amazingness, and it's got so many different topics and so many different things to cover. In Parshas Ve'eschanan are two of the most fundamental uh, readings in the entire Torah. Number one, the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are brought down twice in the Torah, once in Parshas Yisro, in the book of Exodus, in, in, in Shmos, when the Jewish people got out of Egypt, they were given the Ten Commandments at Har Sinai, and at that point they were written down in the Torah in Parshas Yisro. However, later, when Moshe is about to die, and indeed the entire book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is one big collection of the stories of Moshe before he dies, you're going to find the story come up again, where, where basically we're going to see it happen again. We're going to see... Uh, he's going to go over the Ten Commandments, and we're going to discuss a very important difference between Ten Commandments the first time and Ten Commandments the second time. But before we get to that, but, 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 but before we get to that, there is something also that we need to talk about, and that's the, the, the reading of Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Wakeen Hashem Echad is in this week's Torah portion, as well as the Ahavta Hashem Wakeen that first paragraph of the Shema. So what we're going to try to do, and this is only because you guys are so amazing and so awesome, we're going to try to connect the two important things here, the Ten Commandments and the Shema, okay? These are both incredibly fundamental Jewish readings, Jewish texts. We're going to try to make a very strong and interesting connection between the Ten Commandments and the Shema, and in doing so, hopefully we'll get some deeper understanding of the Ten Commandments and of Shema, 
Okay, here we go. Let us start off with the Shema for $200. Okay, now the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. That Pasuk, that verse, is one of the most fundamental verses in all of Judaism, right? That is a, a statement that people, unfortunately, many people, that was the last statement they made while they were still alive. That was what they, they died saying, okay? They, uh, we know that, for example, unfortunately, horrifically, everyone says the Nazis all knew Shema by heart. Because unfortunately, when they were horrifically killing people, Yidin were crying out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Okay? We know that Rabbi Akiva, when Rabbi Akiva was dying, and to understand the brutality of those who hate the Jews, if anybody thinks that the hatred of the Jew is the same as the hatred of anybody else, they are wrong. The hatred of the Jew is way, way more violent than hatred of everybody else. The amount, the, the, the forms of torture we've been through in, in, in the course of our history is just unimaginable. So the Romans hated Rabbi Akiva. Why did they hate Rabbi Akiva? Because he was teaching Torah, right? That's enough of a reason to hate somebody so bad that you not only kill, kill him, but that you skin him alive. So they're killing Rabbi Akiva and they're peeling his flesh with like gigantic potato peelers, okay? They're literally peeling off his flesh. And as they're peeling off his flesh, Rabbi Akiva is saying, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad. And his students are saying, Rabbi, even here you're saying this? And he says, my whole life. Every day in Shema, I said, You have to love Hashem, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, even if He takes your soul and with all your resources. And I said it and I meant it every day, that I love Hashem with everything I've got, even if He takes my soul. And now that I have the opportunity to do so, I'm going to shrink away from it. There's an opportunity for me to give my soul to Hashem, and I'm going to do it with full intentionality. And he says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, and Yatzah Nishmaso Be'echad, his Neshama leaves the world when he gets to the word, Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, and he expires. So this is, seems to be, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, is the ultimate affirmation of the Jewish people. The ultimate affirmation of faith. What exactly is the uniqueness of this prayer, of this Pasuk, that makes it the ultimate affirmation of faith? Okay, that's our first question. Now, in order to understand that, we have to understand what is the biggest challenge to faith. If Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad is the ultimate affirmation of faith, what is the greatest challenge to faith? So in the, in the philo- philosophical circles, the greatest challenge to faith is something called theodicy. Theodicy, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, okay? And that is the study of and the trying to understand of why do bad things happen to good people. That is something that every philosopher worth his salt and many philosophers not worth any salt have struggled with. And I want to read to you just a list. If you go, if you Google like theodicy books, okay? I'm just going to read you the list of books on theodicy is never ending because it is the ultimate question for mankind. Why do bad things happen to good people? How could somebody live his life following godly ways and yet experience immense personal suffering? How do you understand when there's natural events, calamities, right? Tsunamis, floods, rivers ripping through entire towns, children missing. How do we understand bad things? How do we understand holocausts? How do we understand wars? How do we understand ISIS? How do we understand all these things? If God is good, how did that get here? God created the world and He's all good. If there's no lemons in your refrigerator, you can't make lemonade. So if God is all good, how did evil creep in here? That is the ultimate question of faith. 
And every single philosopher has dealt with it. I just Googled today books on theodicy. I'll just read to you. Not, there's a partial, partial, partial list of books. First, of course, is the famous Theodicy Volume 1 by Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, right? A German philosopher. That's just Volume 1. I don't know how many volumes there were, but it only showed up Volume 1 on, uh, on Google. Horrendous Evils and the Goodness of God by Marilyn McCord Adams. God, Freedom, and Evil by Alvin Plantiga. The Doors of the Sea, Where Was God in the Tsunami by David Bentley Hart. Is God to Blame Gregory A. Boyd? When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Harold Kushner. If God, Why Evil by Norman Geisler. God's Problems by Bart D. Ehrman. Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis, The Odyssey of Love, John C. Peckham, Pathways in Theodicy, The Book of Job, The Evil and Justice of God, When God Doesn't Make Sense, Satan and the Problem of Evil, Evil and the God of Love, If God is Good, How Long, O Lord, God at War, Encountering Evil, Why Does God Allow Evil, Encountering Evil, Theology and the Problem of Evil, and Raging with Compassion. These are all books. There's a small little fraction of the thousands of books available Dealing with the question of theodicy. It is the greatest philosophical conundrum and dilemma. How do we understand a good God and yet a world filled with evil? Okay. Now, if that's the ultimate question of faith, I remember one time somebody gave me a book. All it contained was a big fat book. And all it contained was different philosophers' approaches to theodicy. So it had like 40 chapters, and each chapter was another philosopher, their approach to the same question, theodicy. So it's amazing, meaning there's so many different approaches. This is something that mankind wrestles with on a deep, deep level, because it is really, really hard to understand. How do you understand that God is good, and yet you see such horrific evil? Okay, so that's the question of theodicy. I forgot to record this. Okay. Recording in progress. So, that is our question in terms of theodicy. Now, if Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem is supposed to be some sort of answer for this, here, O Israel, let's, let's, let's tear it apart. Let's try to understand how this is... Again, if the ultimate question of faith is theodicy, then our ultimate affirmation of faith should hopefully give us an answer or some kind of clue. Let's look at the Shema carefully. Let's break it apart. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. Now, a very important component to remember. Hear, O Israel, does not mean hear it with your ears. It means hear it with your brain, right? There's a lot of things that we hear with our ears. You hear when a garbage truck rumbles on by. You hear a plane passing over you high in the sky. You hear a a police car zooming down the road with a siren, right? You hear all sorts of things, but you're not hearing that. I mean, obviously, anything you hear, you're actually processing in your brain. But I'm saying, you're not attempting to, let's make an imprint of my mind and remember this forever, that a garbage truck passed by my, my house this morning and collected the garbage, or that I heard a siren down the block, or that I heard a plane passing by. So when we talk about Shema Yisrael, we're not just saying, hear it with your ears. We're saying, hear this. Hear this deeply and understand it. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is our God, or Hashem our God. Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. Now, if you want to tell me that Hashem is one, here's a very simple way to say it. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad. Just say, hey Jews, God is one. That's all you got to say. And you've done your job. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad. 
Period. The end. Full stop. But instead we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hashem our God, Hashem is one. Doesn't that seem a little bit redundant? A little bit extra? A little bit unnecessary? Extraneous? Doesn't it seem like we could have just gotten away with a lot less words there? So what are we saying over here? Again, we're saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, our God, Hashem is one. Just say, listen to Israel, Hashem is one. Okay, now, let's understand a very important fundamental in Judaism. In Judaism, God has many names. And the reason why God has many names is because God is something that we, have, we struggle to relate to. God is not physical. We can't touch Him. We can't feel Him. We can't see Him. We can't smell Him. We can't pat God on the back. So because God is so spiritual and not physical, the only thing that we can experience is how we experience Him acting with us. Meaning... I don't see the boat. I don't see a speedboat on the lake, but I can catch its wake. As it zooms by me, I see the water rippling, and I catch its wake. So I know there's a speedboat on the lake. The same thing with God. I don't see God physically with my eyes. I can't touch Him physically with my fingers, but I see how He interacts with the world. And His wake is how I interact with Him. Okay, now... When we interact with God, God primarily interacts with the world in two ways. The first one is mercy, kindness, and compassion. Rachmanus. And we see that in all the kindness that God does for us. Look at you right now. You're, li- you're right now listening to this or watching it on a screen that's able to convey messages to you. You're probably sitting comfortably in a home that has air conditioning and heating, that is cooling, right? And you're probably comfortable. You probably have a wardrobe full of beautiful clothing to choose from. You probably have food in your refrigerator. By the way, these are not givens, because your great-great-great-grandparents living 600 years ago didn't have any of those things. They didn't have heating and cooling. In the summer, they just schmaltzed, they sweated, and they stank. They literally did. People stink in the olden days. People, I don't know if you know this, people used to wear long underwear all year round. They thought it was healthy. Okay, even in the summer. That long underwear was usually infested with lice. Even kings and queens. Okay? Lice all the time. The Gemara talks about, like, I mean, royalty would have people picking the lice out of their hair. Kings and queens would have people picking lice out of their hair. Lice was a way of life. Most people barely bathed. Most people barely bathe. The joke was you bathe three times. The day you were born, the day you got married, and after you, and the day you die. They would clean your body before burying you. That was the joke. And for many people that was the case, which is, by the way, why disease ran through communities like that with insane, insane contagion. Because the people were such swirling cesspools of, of, of bacteria. That's how perfume became so important. Because everybody smelled so bad. Perfume was necessary to hide whatever you were. Like that whole thing over there. Jews, of course, who bathed much more frequently because of our Jewish law. The laws of mikvah. The laws you know, of, of, of washing our hands before eating. We were much healthier. And because of that, we often died less during pandemics. 
And of course, then the non-Jews said, oh, the Jews must be causing this by poisoning the air. The Jews must be causing this by poisoning the wells. And then they came and made programs and killed us anyway. So we live in very, very good times. We live in times of incredible, incredible chesed. Not only that, think about the kindness that God does for all of mankind. God could have had us live on some planet that was just flat and gray. First of all, God didn't have to get, let us see in color, right? We could have seen in black and white, right? And how much would we be missing? The richness and joys and beauty of color. But God could have made it. We just, we just see in black and white. And there are people, unfortunately, who are entirely colorblind, and that's all they see. So Hashem gave us the ability to see in the beautiful, rich hues and colors and tones. Amazing. Then God could have made the world be like this just dark place, just all flat. But instead, God made this place with thousands of different species of fruits and vegetables and trees and plants and flowers. Just lahanos behem b'nei adam. There's a blessing you make on trees where you say, you thank Hashem for making this incredible, incredible diversity of flora and fauna. Lahanos behem b'nei adam, to make us enjoy them. So God created a world that's so shearingly, stunningly beautiful. God willing, I'll be going out to Montana in a few weeks, to Glacier National Park. You take a walk sometimes. In certain, there, there are certain hikes that you take in Glacier National Park. And you just have to stop. You turn around a bend in the mountain. And, and this vista opens up in front of you. And you, you have to stop. Because you, you, can't, you can't drink in all the beauty and walk at the same time. You can't. You can't do it properly. I mean, there are people who do it. But they're just not seeing the full richness. So you just got to stop. And just look and behold the wonder. The majesty of the beautiful mountains and lakes and green and verdant. It's just incredible. With ice caps and waterfalls coming down. So incredibly beautiful. So the flora and fauna that Hashem created for us. How about flavors? Hashem could have made it that, look, what, what do cows eat? Cows eat grass, right? And, and they grow to be pretty big and strong. Hashem could have made it that we just eat grass. Instead, Hashem made it that we eat mangoes and honeycrisp apples and, and slow-smoked brisket and delicious hot dogs with all the fixings and the trimmings and chowant and herring. Hashem made such an incredible world. So many delicious flavors. He didn't have to. He could have had us eating grass and wake up in the morning and be a little hungry I go out to my front yard. I harvest me some grass. I mean, I think there are people who do that. They make like juice shakes out of grass. <laughs> They're green monster drinks. And I'm like, what are you drinking? They're like, oh, this is like grass and stuff. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. Anyway, it's very healthy, very healthy. But God made us such incredible... He, he, and we live in a country where we feel secure. Baruch Hashem. We're living in a time of incredible, incredible chesed from Hashem. So that's one way we see God interacting with us. Through just incredible kindness and compassion. That's number one. Number two. Sometimes we see God interacting with us with incredible din. What seems to be like harsh justice. Discipline. Terrible things happen in the world. Wildfires. And and, and tsunamis. And volcanoes. 
And then human-born insanity and evil, holocaust, pogroms, crusades. On Monday night I give a class. It's, for, uh, it's primarily made up of Persian Jews, right? Almost all. It's all, almost entirely Persian Jews. So we were talking the other day, we kind of stepped back, we were doing a little bit of history because we were talking about Tishbev. And I was saying how Baruch Hashem, the Jews who lived in Iran, Iraq, for the most part, were saved from most of the horrors that we experienced as Ashkenazic Jews. I'm like, you guys, you guys were sitting pretty while we were, <laughs> we were sweating it. And for the most part, it's true. Some people say that this chus of the Talmud Bavli, this chus of the, of the Babylonian Talmud, which was written in Iran, Iraq, allowed that the Jews should live in relative peace for 2,500 years there. From the destruction of the first base of Migdash all the way up until the 1900s. So, but we, us Ashkenazic Jewries, I mean, what do we face? Pogroms and Crusades and the Cossacks and the Spanish Inquisition and the Holocaust. I mean, just disaster after disaster. So there are times where we see God interacting with the world with great justice and discipline. Now, that's the question of theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, we don't have books written about... I just read to you like all those titles about books written about why do bad things happen to good people? You know what we don't have tons of books about? Why do good things happen to bad people? I don't see anybody who's like, you know what, I'm an atheist. You know why? Because I, I know this bad guy, but yet... I mean, the truth, there are people who, even who ask that. But like, how come this guy, he's such a rotten guy, yet he's living good? I see Al Capone, such a terrible person, but he looks like he's living the good life. He's eating well. He's drinking well, Right? So all these things, you know, like, there's definitely... I, I don't see people coming, though, and saying, I did everything I was supposed to do, and God gave me so much more than I deserve, and I'm, having, I'm struggling with faith right now. Why did God give me more than I deserve? You know, by the way, try this. I've trained myself to try, at least. I can't say I do it every single day, but I try every single morning when I wake up after I say Modani. I try to thank Hashem for one good thing that happened to me yesterday, and then I try to literally just say these words, Hashem, you give me so much more than I deserve. I want to make sure that that is the thought that I'm waking up with in the morning. Hashem, you give me so much more than I deserve. I have never had anybody come over to me and say, Rabbi, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm having a real crisis of faith. God gives me so much more than I deserve. I don't think, I, is it, could there really be a God? I don't deserve all the good that I'm getting. It must, there must not be a God. Because if there was a God, I would just get exactly what I deserve and nothing more. I've never had anybody come to me with that question. So in any case, but the bottom line is, that's when we see all the, the, the discipline of God, is when we really are stuck. And we're trying to understand, how could there be a God if we see such horrific, horrific evils? And again, there, there's two kinds of evil. There's cancer evil, and then there's Holocaust evil, right? There's man-made evil, and there's God-made evil. Now, of course... Cancer often can be a hybrid between a God-made evil and a man-made evil, right? If someone unfortunately smokes cigarettes for 40 years, three packs a day, and then they get lung cancer, like, God, why did you do this to me? A little bit weird, right? A little bit weird. And then, of course, but there are, there are, there are, so there's all kinds of hybrids as well. Now, let's try to understand the Jewish approach to this. We can't relate to God by touching him, or talking to him, or seeing him. So instead, well, we can talk to him, for sure. That we do all the time. I relate to God by talking to him many, 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 many times a day. I'm sure you do as well. 
But he doesn't loudly talk back to me. He talks back to me by the life he's given me, for sure. And I'm deeply, deeply appreciative. Like I said, he's given me way more than I deserve by a million percent. But ultimately, that is sort of um, the challenge. And we relate to God by the names that we give him describe the different ways he's interacting with us. Hashem, the Yud and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey, which is the one name of God that we don't pronounce at all, ever, even in davening. We call it Hashem, which just means the name. We don't even say it. It's like, he who must not be named, right? Hashem, we don't... Because that is the most, the greatest essence of God. We'll get to that in a second. That represents God interacting with the world with kindness. Hashem represents the Midas HaRachamim. Elokeinu represents the Midas HaDin, the attribute of strict justice and discipline. Okay? The ultimate affirmation of faith is as following. Shema Yisrael, listen, O Israel, hear this deeply. Hashem... God interacting with the world with kindness and Elokeinu, God interacting with the world with discipline is really only a God. There's only one God. There's not two gods. There's not a kind God and a mean God. There's only one God. And which one is it? Hashem Echad. There's only, it's only the, the kind God. That's all there is. Everything else that you see appears to be evil, appears to be bad, but it's not. It's all kindness. Let me give you a story that sort of illustrates this, and then we're going to plug it back in. And don't worry, we still have to get to a, a connection to Shabbos, which we will. Don't worry, we're getting there. Okay, now, there was a conservative rabbi who lived here in town named Eric Yanoff. And he told me that um, he and a number of his friends that he went to you know, the Jewish Theological Seminary together with, they used to get together every summer. They were, you know, heading congregations all over America. In the summer times, they would get together and they would rent a big house, like it was like before Airbnb became as popular as it is today. But basically, they would rent an Airbnb together, and all their kids would play together, and the adults would have time to catch up. So it was a very nice time they would look forward to in the summer. So they said the following story: One time, they rented a house, and I believe it was either in North Carolina or South Carolina near the beach, and. They all arrive, you know, roughly around the same time. It's four families coming in from all over with their minivans and their kids and their, you know, their diaper bags and their car seats and their carriages and they start unloading. And as they're, on, they're finished unloading, they make a list, right? What's one of the first things when you do when you go on vacation? You settle into your place, then you make a list and you go out to Walmart, right? That's an important rite of conversation, uh, of a vacation, right? So they're about to go out into uh, the mother of one, of one of the mothers says, look, I'll go to Walmart. Why don't you guys explore? You know, there's, there's, there's a beautiful beach nearby. There's stuff to go to. Why don't you guys go explore? Take the kids out. They've been cooped up in the cars all day long. You take the kids out. I'll go. I'll go to Walmart. I'll get this whole list. Okay, great. So the adults tell the kids, all right, kids, go grab your bicycles. Grab your stuff. We're going we're gonna to go explore. And they start walking down the country lane. Now, you know, the kids on their bicycles generally go faster than the parents as they're walking. So the, the parents are walking leisurely. And the kids are biking up ahead a little bit, and they're maybe 300 feet ahead or whatever it is. The parents crest a hill. There's a little hill. The parents crest the hill, and then they can look down and they see, and to their horror, one of the kids, a little boy, who had just learned how to ride a bike, and evidently knew how to pedal but did not know how to stop, did not know how to put the brakes on, is zooming downwards on on an incline, downwards, and he's heading 
into one of these country highways that has two lanes in each direction. There's cars whizzing by at 50, 60 miles an hour. And this kid doesn't know how to stop. And he's screaming, help, help. Because he knows that he knows that he's not going the right place. He just doesn't know what to do. He's panicked. He's frozen up. He's locked up. And the parents start running. But there's just no way. There's no way that any of them are going to catch him. He's too far ahead. He's going too fast. And he's picking up speed. And he's heading right into four lanes of traffic going 55, 60 miles an hour. Suddenly, there's a sound of a V6 engine. And from behind them, the mother, who had said she was going to go do the Walmart pickup, she's now in her car, she's about to head out to Walmart, she sees what's going on, and she zooms, she can drive way faster than they can run, she zooms up ahead, she zooms, and it happens to be, she's the mother of that child, she zooms up ahead with her car, and as her son is hurtling towards the highway. She literally smashes her minivan into him, sending him flying into a ditch and saving his life. Now, in the process, she could have broken every, every rib in his body. She could have broken his legs. I mean, the kid easily could have ended up with, you know, multiple broken parts of his, you know, body parts. He could have ended up in a cast for six months. Who knows what? But he would have ended up living. Now it so happens that young children, Hashem miraculously makes them out of rubber to a certain degree. They are more, um, they're, they're simply able to bounce back a lot quicker and their bones literally are less brittle. And the kid ended up just getting up, just like he probably got a black and blue mark. He, it, didn't, it didn't tickle him and he was you know, hurt and he was crying in the ditch. But he was able to get up and walk away. But he might not have. And the mother knew that. And the mother still did it to him. Now, if you only have a small snapshot, and all you see is you get a video, I send you a video of a child, and I crop out the highway, and it's just a video of a kid on his bike from behind, you see a kid zooming down a country lane, and then you see a minivan with a woman in it, and then I put the little caption, mother approaches, and you see the mother smashing into the child sending him flying into a ditch. What do you do? You call CPS. You call CPS. You call Child Protective Services. You say, I'd like to report horrific, horrific child abuse that I saw with my own eyes. I saw a mother smash her minivan purposely into her child. What kind of sicko? This kid needs to be removed from the home. What kind of mother? Of course, if you have the full picture and you understand all that was going on and you understand that the child was zooming to his death, you realize that what the mother did was an act of compassion, not an act of destruction. We only have small snapshots of our of, of history. We don't understand the big picture. On one hand, what we do understand, for example, is we say the Jews are here still. We're here 3,500, 3,300 years later. 3,333 years later. The Romans, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the ancient Egyptians, they're all gone. Everybody else is gone. There's no one left in the neighborhood. We're the only ones left. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the fact that we went through all our difficulties and we've kind of been forced to maintain who we're supposed to be has kept us the way we are. And maybe we could start to get an inkling. 
We can't look at any, like, we can't look back in the Holocaust and say that it's too soon, it's too painful. We don't, the, 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 the violence of the Holocaust was so great. The horrors, the loss was so intense, the pain so overwhelming that we, we don't necessarily have the ability to get to that place. But we look back at a lot of things in history and we say, look, we've been through crazy things. But we're the only ones here who are still here. Maybe one has to do with the other. Maybe one has to do with the other. Maybe the fact that we go through these painful experiences that force us to remember who we are is part of why we are who we are. And every other nation that was around back then is not around anymore. So, we look at the world and we say the following. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, Hashem, the God of kindness, and Elokeinu, the God of discipline and harshness and difficulty and challenge. I believe Hashem Echad. It's only one God. It's the God of kindness. When a person's struggling with personal illness, Hashem Echad, I have to remember there's only one God. He's the God of kindness. When a person is struggling, they can't find a shidduch. When a person is struggling, they can't have children. When a person is struggling with children who are giving them lots of difficulties. When a person is struggling with the inability to make the parnasa he needs to support his family. Hashem Echad! I gotta remember, God is one. God is kind. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know that it must be, ultimately, for my benefit. Rabbi Akiva, as they're peeling his flesh from his skin, is crying out, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Somehow this is good. I gave up everything. I was 40 years old. I went back into the, the kindergarten as a 40-year-old man to learn Aleph Bays. I sacrificed everything to make a yeshiva. God took that whole entire yeshiva, 24,000 students away from me. I started all over again. I've been teaching and learning and growing. And now what happens? What do I get? For teaching God's Torah, they're peeling my flesh off my body. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. I believe somehow this is all for the best, for the best of the world, for the best of me. There's another world out there. There's a world, Olam Abba, which is where everything ends up getting, all accounts are settled. I believe this is for the best. And his students can't believe it. And he says, this is what I've been saying my whole life. Every morning by Shema, I declare that I believe God is good no matter what. Now that I'm suddenly facing the challenge, I'm not going to do what I've been saying my whole life? So that is the ultimate affirmation of faith. The ultimate question of faith is how do bad things happen to good people? The ultimate affirmation of faith is Hashem Echad, there's only one God, there's only the God of kindness. Everything that God does is ultimately about kindness, even though I don't understand it right now. And we can give so many other examples. You know, you, you, you see a guy taking a saw and cutting off somebody's leg. Now you call the police. Right? The guy's taking a saw and cutting off someone's leg. But if he's a doctor and he's cutting a gangrenous leg off of somebody, and if he doesn't cut that out, then the person's going to have the gangrene travel to the rest of the body and kill the person. And you realize he's acting in kindness. Not in, not, he's not an evil person. It's all about the context. The same action. You see somebody sawing off somebody's leg with a high-powered saw. He could either be a psychopath, killer, horrific person, or he could be a doctor who's acting in total kindness. There are many times in this world where we can look back at our own lives and see difficulties that we went through and say, you know what? I can appreciate why I went through those difficulties. I can look back at my life now and recognize that ultimately that was for my good. And there are things in our life that we look back and we can't understand. 
when we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, we say, I believe all that God does is ultimately good, whether or not I understand it. I believe that God is good and that everything He does is for the good. That is the ultimate affirmation of faith. The ultimate question of faith is why do bad things happen to good people? The ultimate answer is, I believe that bad things don't happen to good people. I just don't know how to read what I see. And I recognize that God has a much greater lens than I do, a much wider, broader lens, and a much greater ability to understand the context of every action. So my answer is, I don't believe bad things happen to good people. I don't believe that, period. How this is good, I don't know. That I don't know. But I know that it's good. And I believe that it's good. That is what Shema Yisrael Hashem Okeinu Hashem Echad is. And that's what we say every morning. We're supposed to have kavana that God is kind. God is merciful. Even when He's doing things to me that are so difficult for me to, to deal with. Okay. How does that connect? So now we know what Shema Yisrael Hashem Okeinu Hashem Echad is. And that's, I think, really, really important. And it's sometimes in our life it's easier to say that. Because life is, seems to be just doing really good for us. And we're like, yeah, Shema Yisrael Hashem Okeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem is all good. And there are times in our lives where we struggle to say Hashem Echad. There's times in our life where we're going through personal difficulties and it's so hard to say, I believe God is good because He's giving me such pain or He's giving my child such pain. And it's so hard for me to say it, but that's when, that's when you earn your stripes. You don't earn your stripes when everything in life is amazing. You're like, yeah, God is good. You earn your stripes when life is challenging to you and to people around you. And there's real, real searing pain in your life. And yet you cry out, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Now, the next step is how are we going to connect this to Shabbos? We said before, the Ten Commandments are brought down twice in the Torah. In the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy. In Shmos and in Dvarim. The original is in Shmos. In Devarim, we have Moshe repeating them to the Jewish people as so much of Devarim, so much of the book of Deuteronomy is Mishneh Torah, a repetition of the Torah. Before Moshe dies, he's giving over to the Jewish people all the most important teachings. There are some differences, though, between the Aseris Hadibros in the book of Devarim and the Aseris Hadibros in the book of Shemos. And the most noticeable one, the most clearly, obviously evident one, is... In the fourth commandment, the commandment of Shabbos. If you go to Parshas Yisro, when the first time the Torah was given to the Jewish people, I'm sorry, not the first time, when the Torah, when the Ten Commandments were given to the Jewish people, it only happened once, just later Moshe repeats it, when the Torah is saying the commandment to keep Shabbos, it says, Remember the Shabbos day to sanctify it. Okay, I'm just saying Kiddush. I don't know why I'm saying Kiddush right now. It's not Shabbos. But that's how we started. Remember the Holy Day of Shabbos to sanctify it. But yet, if you go to the book of Devarim, and when Moshe Rabbeinu is repeating the Torah for all of Klai Yisrael, what does it say? Safeguard the Shabbos day to sanctify it. Kashir tzivcha Hashem alokecha like Hashem commanded. Wait, that's not how Hashem commanded. Hashem commanded zachar tziyom Shabbos l'kacho. Remember the Shabbos day. Here, Moshe is saying shamar tziyom Shabbos l'kacho. Safeguard the Shabbos day to sanctify it like Hashem commanded. But that's not how Hashem commanded it. What are you talking about? 
Okay. And for that, we're going to go to Kabbalah Shabbos, the beautiful prayer that we say on Friday as we welcome the Shabbos Queen into our house. And to the very, very beautiful song, Lechadodi, that was given to us by the holy Rabbi Shlomo Alkabetz, Rabbi Shlomo Halevi Alkabetz, a deep uh, Kabbalist and, and, and um, Chacham of the 16th century. And we're going to go to stanza number two. Shamar v'zachar b'dibor echad. Shamar and zachar were said at one time. The Medrash tells us that Hashem actually said both at the same time. Hashem said at the same time both shamar and zachar. That is an impossibility by human beings. You might be able to chew gum and walk at the same time. And maybe you're a better, you're more brilliant than I. You could drink in the entire beauty of Glacier National Park and walk at the same time. Right? There was a famous uh, tzaddik, Rav Chaim Oizer Gruzensky, and he was one of the leaders of Jewry in, in pre-war Europe. He was absolutely brilliant, and he would get questions sent him from all over Europe, rabbis needing his advice, rabbis needing his psak halacha, his, his uh, ruling, his halachic rulings. They say that he used to be able to talk to you while writing responsas with both of his hands. <laughs> Can you imagine that? First of all, Writing with your non, if you're a righty, writing with your left hand is really, really hard. So just writing with your wrong hand is almost impossible. Then writing with two hands at the same time, two different things, right? It's not like you're writing, I will not talk out in class, I will not talk out in class, and you're just using both hands to make it happen a lot faster. You're responding to one person who's asking you a castrous question. You're responding to another person who's asking you a question about a, a business ethics. And at the same time, you're talking to a third person. He was incredibly brilliant. But you know what he could not do? He could not say two words at the same time. Right? When you try to say two things at the same time, it can't. It's impossible. Hashem, who makes all impossibilities possible, Hashem has got infinite powers, Hashem is able to say two things at once. Hashem said to us at Harsinai, Shamar v'zachar at the same time came out out of two sides of his mouth, so to speak, and we heard both of them. Shamar v'zachar b'dibor echad. In one statement, God said Shamar v'zachar. Hishmianu kelamiyuchad. The one and only made us here. What is kelamiyuchad? Why is God so special? The special God made us here. Shamar v'zachar at the same time because you can't say two things at once. He could. He's very, very unique like that. God, the unique, the only being in the world that could say two things at once, said Shamar v'zachar at the same time. Now, why was it so important for God to say Shamar v'zachar at once? Why couldn't God just say, Zachar z'yom ha-shabbos l'kacho, v'shamar z'yom ha-shabbos l'kacho? Why didn't God just say them one after the other, sequentially? And the answer, I believe, is because God is telling us a very important, very, very important rule of Shabbos. The only way you will experience Shabbos is if you do both the do's of Shabbos and you stop and you, you desist from doing the don'ts of Shabbos. Shamar represents, safeguarding the Shabbos means don't do the things that you're not supposed to do on Shabbos. Don't drive a car on Shabbos. Don't garden on Shabbos. Don't make a fire on Shabbos. Don't use your phone on Shabbos. Don't do all the things that you're not supposed to do on Shabbos. Zachar Shema Shabbos Lekacho speaks of doing the do's of Shabbos. Remember Shabbos. Do the do's of Shabbos. 
What is that now? The, the, the exact biblical commandment of Zachar, the most distilled expression of Zachar, is Yom HaShabbos Lakadcho, is to make Kiddush on Friday night. But the dues of Shabbos include getting dressed up, having beautiful, beautiful meals together, going to shul, spending time with your community, davening, beautiful davenings, learning a little bit of Torah extra, getting a Shabbos nap, all the beautiful dues of Shabbos. And Hashem is saying, Zachar v'shamar b'dibor echad. You want to be, if you want to be able to get Shabbos, you know what you need to do? Zachar v'shamar. You got to do both. If you think that you're going to be able to keep all the beautiful dues of Shabbos, but whatever, we don't, we don't care about not doing the don'ts. Many movements have tried that. Reform Judaism tried it. Conservative Judaism tried it. They said, you know what? We're still going to have the services. We're going to have the beautiful, we're going to make Kiddush, we're going to have Friday night, we're going to have Friday night dinner, but we're just not going to, we're not going to do, we're not going to, who cares about all the don'ts, right? And I know many people who grew up like that. I know many people who when they were growing up, their family had Kiddush, and they had Friday night dinner, and they they drove to Shul. Today, those same families, the only people, unfortunately, who are still doing that are like the very elderly people. The young people, they've walked away from it. They've stopped doing it. Hashem says, you can't do Zachar without Shamar. You can't enjoy all the beauty of Shabbos, all the dues of Shabbos, if you don't hold safeguard from all the don'ts of Shabbos. It's not going to work for you. And again, many people have tried it. Oh, we can get the best of both worlds. We can, we can, we can we'll have the Shabbat dinners, and we'll do the Kiddush, but we're also going to watch a TV program afterwards, and we're going to go to the beach, and we're going to make a barbecue. It doesn't happen. It falls away. But the same thing goes the other way. Let's say a person says, I'm just not going to do the malacha of Shabbos. I won't do all the don'ts. I'm not going to drive. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make barbecues. I'm not going to garden. But I'm also, I'm not going to go to shul. I'm not going to make Shabbos dinners. I'm beforehand, obviously, make the food. I'm not going to have Shabbos dinner. I'm not going to do, so, you know, special time in the family. It doesn't work either. I remember I used to learn with somebody, and he had a son who was in college at the University of Michigan. And he used to say to me, you know, that his son keeps Shabbos at college. And I said, does he go to the Hillel for davening? The Hillel building in, in, uh, in Ann Arbor has like an Orthodox minion and a conservative minion and a reform minion. They've got, you know, they've got... And I said, does he go to the Hillel for davening? No. Does he go to Shabbos dinners? There's a few different places on campus. You can go to the, Rabbi, the JRC, the Incredible Jewish Resource Center, Rabbi Fali Eisenberger, which is an amazing place. has hundreds of students going for Shabbat dinner every, every Friday night. Does he go to Chabad? Does he go to the Hillel? The Hillel has dinner every Friday night. Does, does, he, does he do that? No. I'm like, so what does he do? He just stays in his room the whole Shabbos. I said to him, Bob, that's not his real name, but I said, Bob, I'm sorry to break it to you. Your, your kid's not keeping Shabbos. If you're not doing the dues of Shabbos, there's no way you're keeping me. Maybe you did it for a few weeks, maybe even a few months. It just doesn't work. Hashem says, Zachar v'shamar b'dibur echad. Both Zachar and Shamar need to be together. It doesn't work any other way. If you want to experience Shabbos with any kind of continuity and regularity, you've got to do the dues, do the beautiful things of Shabbos. But you also have to hold back from doing the don'ts, from not, do, from not doing the don'ts. Now, let's look at the next phrase over here. Hashem echad ushmo echad. Hashem is one, and His name is one. Wait a second, that sounds like Shema kind of language. How did that get into L'chadodi? How did that get into a prayer about Shabbos? Hashem echad ushmo echad? That sounds like a Shema Yisrael Hashem echad. 
That's a statement that belongs in Shema. How did that get into Shabbos? So here's a beautiful idea. My friends, listen carefully. If you have to say, remember, Hashem represents compassion and kindness and expansiveness on the behalf of God. And Elokeinu represents discipline, justice, contraction. Okay? Some people would look at Shabbos and they'd be like, I love the awesome parts of Shabbos. I love going to Shul on Shabbos. It's singing beautifully in Shul. I love the Shabbos dinners, the fact that we sit around the table and everyone's there, everyone's focused, everyone's present. All my children are sitting around, we're singing songs together. It's so beautiful. And it really is. A Shabbos done right is so achingly, incredibly beautiful. But some people are like, you know... I love the beautiful parts of Shabbos. I love the community. I love going to Kiddushes and visiting with other people who have simchas and celebrating with the rest of the community. It creates such a sense of close-knit community and bonds from person to person. Right? I, I love it so much. I really do. And I enjoy, I enjoy Shabbos tremendously. But I wish I didn't have to keep all the laws of Shabbos, you know? so hard. I, I can't go swimming and I can't play an instrument and I can't uh, you know if someone likes to you know, back in the day people used to after, the, after every big meal back in the day everyone would go to the drawing room and they would have the billiard room and they'd smoke their cigars and drink pork you know to help settle the meal. I, I can't smoke my cigar after a big Shabbos meal I can't you know there's so much that I can't do I wish I could just drive because then I could also see more of my friends. I love Shabbos. I love seeing my friends on Shabbos. I wish I could just drive you know like so like God was really nice to us. He gave us Shabbos, but he was also a little bit mean because he made us not able to do so many things. <laughs> right? He made us not be able to do so many things. He was a little bit mean. He gave, Shabbos is a little bit of a mixed bag. There's the good of Shabbos and there's the mean Shabbos. Shem's not letting us do all these things. Somebody might look at the world like that. Says Rev Shlomo Alkabitz. Zachar Vishamar Bedibor Echad. Zachar and Shamar, which are the two parts of Shabbos, the do's and the don'ts, they're said at once. Hashem echad ushmo echad. Hashem only has one name. His one name is the good name. There's only kindness coming from God. And by the way, I forgot to mention this before. When the Messiah comes, when Mashiach comes, it will be that when Hashem will be the king over the whole world. In those days, there will only be one name of God. In the times of the Messiah, when we're all able to understand all of history with all of its context and all of its nuance, we'll be able to look back and understand that everything that we thought that God was doing that was mean and disciplinary and was really all out of kindness. When the Mashiach comes and our eyes are open, then we're able to see the full picture of the whole history of humanity and understand everything on the deepest levels. The days when the wisdom of God will cover the sea like the like, when the world will be filled with the wisdom of Hashem like the waters cover the sea, as the prophet Isaiah promises us. On those days, there will only be one name, one name of God. There will be no more Elokeinu because there will be nothing that looks like strict discipline to us anymore. Every act of God throughout history will look like a, a, a surgeon performing a, a merciful and caring and sensitive amputation versus a horrible you know, event. So when Messiah comes, there's only going to be one name of God. There won't be two names of God anymore. Because we'll see that everything that God did was out of kindness. Says Rav Shlomo Alkabitz, there's only one name for God in Shabbos. There's not two names for God in Shabbos. There's not the kind God who gave us all these beautiful customs and things to do. Chala, and Kiddush, and dips, and gefilte fish. 
and Jalant and Herring and Pacha. Ah, oh, that's the kind God. And then there's Elokeinu, there's the mean God who doesn't let us do anything we want to do on Shabbos. No! Says Rav Shlomo Alkovitz, Hashem Echad there's only one name of God. Everything is kindness of God. The fact that you can't use your phone is the greatest kindness of God. The fact that you can't cook on Shabbos is the greatest kindness of God because if you could cook on Shabbos, you wouldn't have the peace. And Raya, by the way, I'll prove it to you. On Yomtiv, when you're allowed to cook, there's a lot of times where people are running around in the kitchen last minute, not able to enjoy the meal as much, or busy getting... Sometimes on Yomtiv, we're not able to enjoy as much because we're busy making food. Right? So there are... We can, we can see it ourselves. And definitely, if you allow people to have their phones on Shabbos, ugh, I can't even imagine a Shabbos where I had my phone with me. What a detraction from my beauty of Shabbos. What a detraction from the peace of Shabbos. How many calls would I get in middle emergency? It's urgent, Rabbi. You need to pick it up. And this thing and that problem and this situation. I don't have any of that. I love the don'ts of Shabbos because they protect me. You might not see it at first. You might not recognize it at first. It may look to you like there's Hashem that gave us the do's of Shabbos and there's Elokeinu who gave us the don'ts of Shabbos. But Rav Shlomo says Hashem Echad Hashem only has one name. It's the good name. All the don'ts of Shabbos are such beautiful things there to protect you, to give you the ability to have a 25-hour oasis in the middle of your week of beauty and serenity and peace and kindness and love. And you only get that because you have all the don'ts of Shabbos. L'shem for renown and for splendor and for praise. The word Tiferes, when we go through the Spheros, when we go through the seven Midos during the Spheros of Omer, we have Chesed and Gevura and Tiferes. Tiferes is the perfect, beautiful blend of kindness and discipline. It's the parent who knows how to be so kind and giving to his child, but he also knows how to discipline his child appropriately. And that child grows up so healthy and it's so beautiful. And you realize that even when the parent was disciplining his child, it wasn't out of anger or spite. It was out of kindness and out of love. Tiferes is the beauty that you see in the harmony of the kindness and the discipline. The beauty that you see in the harmony of the do's and the don'ts of Shabbos together. L'shem ulsif eres v'lesila. Shabbos is tif eres. Shabbos is the splendor. So now we understand the connection between Shabbos, which is brought down in the Ten Commandments, and Shema Yisrael. They both are affirmations that Hashem is all good. Shema Yisrael is an, is an affirmation that Hashem is all good in, in how He interacts with us. And we believe that even when we go through difficulties and challenges and struggles, Hashem is all good. And Shabbos, we say Hashem Echad Ushma Echad is an affirmation that the do's and the don'ts of Shabbos are both so beautiful, so crucial, and so affirming of life and giving to us of the greatest blessing in the world. The beautiful Matana Tova Yeshli Bebeis Kenazai, the beautiful gift that Hashem said He had in His storehouse and He kept for so long and He lovingly bestowed it upon Klai Yisrael. Both the do's and the don'ts are both a full 100% complete package of beauty and joy. And with that, may you all have an amazing Shabbos. Thank you so much for coming, and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.